we're your hosts, Hugh and Adrian. I'm an investment professional with an MBA in finance. And I'm Adrian, a financial counselor, and I help my clients establish and reach their Wealth Saver financial goals. Tailored Wealth Saver podcast is here to bring you tailored stories that will educate and inspire you on how to enjoy life, grow wealth, and become a Wealth Saver. There seems to be no end to the rising prices, especially at the grocery store. At times, it seems like it's cheaper to dine out than to cook at home. In our season one finale episode, we discussed how you probably took a pay cut due to inflation, which hit its highest percentage increase in nearly 40 years. Today, we are joined again with a familiar guest. So if you've listened to season season two's first episode about financial shaming, you will recognize today's guest and a great one at that. Welcome back, Professor of Financial Planning, Housing and Consumer Economics at the University of Georgia, Dr. Thomas. Thanks, thanks for having me back. <laughs> no, thank you. So he's here to discuss the I word, inflation, and yeah. help us and you understand its effect on personal finance. I love it. I love it. Dr. Thomas, oh. welcome back. So I'm pretty sure I'm about to ask you a loaded question, yeah. but do you think there is an end to this rise in inflation? Uh, yes, I, I do think that there will be an end eventually to the rise of inflation because inflation generally is influenced by market factors such as supply and demand. And what we're experiencing right now is a byproduct of or an, or an unintentional consequence of how we decided to navigate the pandemic, quite honestly. So literally, the way that I think about it is a little bit different than others. Uh, I think about the inflation that we're experiencing right now is literally just the cost that was delayed as it relates to some of the major decisions that we had to undertake during the pandemic to ensure the, the safety of every American in the United States. And when we engage in these processes, it's not free. And I think that unfortunately, a lot of times, because a lot of individuals and households don't have a real understanding about economics and supply chains and demand and all this other different stuff uh, that they don't contextualize it in that way. And we, it's almost like we live in a space where everything is supposed to be free and there's not supposed to be a cost and there's not supposed to be a consequence to any decision or things of that nature that we made. So the trade-off was, do we not provide um, checks to households and families that are engaged in lockdowns that can't work? Uh, do we not engage in a paycheck protection program to keep businesses afloat that otherwise probably would have went out of business because people are feel fearful for engaging in the economy and all these other different things? And if we just allow things to play themselves out, would it, been a, would it have been a greater cost on the back end right, to stimulate the economy, given that we just decided not to do anything and allow for businesses to fail, to allow for households to suffer, to allow people to be foreclosed upon, to allow for landlords to kick people out of their homes during a very difficult season or time. So the question is, is like, what cost are we going to pay? And this was a part of the cost, simply because what transpired is that once we engaged in lockdowns and we started to see a ramp up of the uh, the, co- the coronavirus 
And we weren't quite sure in terms of what its long-term effects were gonna be on individuals and things of that nature. That means that we had to shut down facilities. Uh, we had to shut down manufacturing, maybe for weeks at a time, right? And then if people aren't spending in the ways that they're spending, that means that demand goes down. And if the economy was revving, which it was, that means that we had a significant supply. So what you'll notice, if you remember, if we go back to the beginning of the pandemic, we actually saw deflation, right? Gas prices went down and other prices went down and things of that nature, but nobody was complaining about deflation. But what was happening was that these are the supply and demand factors. So what happens is that when there's less demand and more supply, we're in something called a surplus. And when that happens, prices go down to encourage demand to go up so more people are spending money. So as these organizations and businesses start to slow down, we're getting mis mixed messages from the government. We're getting mixed messages from the CDC. Uh, most of these companies are inter multi-international, multi-conglomerate companies. So even though we have vaccines here, but if all my operations are in a country where there are no vaccines, right, they're still susceptible to shutdowns and supply chain issues. So once we had this infusion of cash and we were getting over the hump, of the pandemic, what was happening was is that as all these organizations and businesses started to slow down, spending started to rev up, right? So spending is revving up and now there isn't enough supply. So we're operating at a deficit. So if there's more demand and then there's less supply, then naturally what's gonna happen as a result is that we're gonna see prices start to go up to kind of negate that demand supply curve, as we would call it, or to get it closer to equilibrium. I'm not going to get all the economics mm. up to this. So if we understand that we're just looking at the ebbs and flows of the economy, then logically it would be safe to assume that eventually we're on the downturn of the pandemic. Businesses are going to start revving up. Production is going to start revving up. People who are locked down aren't going to be spending in the way that they were because they just wanted to get out of the house and do to have something fun. Things will become more normal. So spending is going to go back down to normal levels. And then we're going to start to see inflation adjust a little bit. And it's also important to understand that inflation is a year over year number. So we're comparing the inflationary costs of what's happening in this particular month compared to this month, right, a year ago. So if we go into next year and the supply it's a chain, the supply and demand dynamics kind of not, kind of come down a little bit, then if we had super high inflation this year, then let's say things come down, then we're saying that, oh, inflation's going down. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but that's just a byproduct of what's mm -hmm. happening in the economy and the world around us. Uh, so yes, I fully believe that we're going to see inflation come down uh, eventually. My forecast is probably mid-2024, and then we, well, hold on, we're 2022, mid 2023, and we start to see more normal levels of inflation in 2024, as globally, we're effectively able to navigate the pandemic, not just isolated in, in countries that have the capacity and the resources and finances to navigate these type of financial shocks. I have a question for you, because one of the things with inflation too that, that that gets brought up is the um price and wage cycle right mm -hmm. so we're starting to see an elevated quits rate which for a lot of people uh i don't like for our listeners because we don't like to just use jargon and, and leave yeah. them to go look 
the what that uh, says is basically as prices go up or as inflation holds, um, people demand higher pay to keep the same level of, of living, essentially, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. Um, and the quits rate is the number of people who quit their jobs, um, which to, can be looked negatively. But for the most part, people don't just quit their jobs to just retire. Most people quit their jobs to take another job. Yep. So, and we haven't seen this high level of quits rate since early 2000s, basically, yeah. which is meaning people are basically taking up new jobs and getting higher salaries. Yes. It hasn't been in, it hasn't been shown in yet in our um, in the Federal Reserve's um, wage increases yet, but we are seeing it tick up, and we do hear people asking for higher amounts now. Um, how would that play on the normalization of inflation? Back to the Fed target rate of between two around two percent. Yeah, I, I think even still with with higher pay raises, I, I there's actually studies that actually have looked at this. And have said that yeah, there, there's a little bit of inflation based on higher pay raises, but it's 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 not the the, the crazy amount that we're experiencing or seeing right now. Uh, this is there's been wage stagnation for a considerable amount of time. So this is the thing. Even though that even though we're experiencing greater levels or higher pay, we're still behind the eight ball because of the deferred effect of wage stagnation for years and years and years and years, right? So -hmm. we're still not even fully caught up as it relates to that or in that regard. Uh, So I don't necessarily think that that's gonna have a a significant impact on any of this. Um, What I do think is that the the manufacturing, the economic side of that is gonna be more of a driver. Now, the beautiful thing right now which is why individuals are in a position to quit at higher levels than they've ever had before is because now blue collar workers have greater options, right? For making movements to where they potentially could get paid more when before, if you made a lateral move, what, I'm going to get a 50 cent raise or maybe a dollar raise. Now, if I make a lateral move as a blue collar worker, I can increase my pay by $5 or $7 or whatever it may be. That's fairly significant. Generally speaking, that type of movement was only reserved for white collar workers, right? If I'm an accountant, I'm going to leave this position and I'm going to go to this position because I'm going to get a 10,000 bump in my salary or X, Y, and Z. So the beautiful thing right now, as we are actually looking at this and seeing companies have to be more competitive in the way that they pay their employees, uh, is, is, is absolutely a beautiful thing. It's, it's a needed thing. Are we gonna see a slight bumper increase in, in uh, inflation as it relates to that? Absolutely. But as someone who is for people, am I willing to pay a little bit more going to the store knowing that someone is being paid a living wage? For me personally, absolutely. But the 7% inflation and things of that nature that we're seeing right now is not born out of in any significant way, people being paid more money. And I think that people try to encouch that being an argument so that we can say we shouldn't pay people more money, but the studies don't prove that. This is mm-hmm. what we're experiencing right now, and I want to be very specific here, is a supply demand issue, not a people getting paid a reasonable wage for the work that they're doing, because it is valuable. 
And if you speak to anybody right now as we're navigating this process and they have to wait in long lines because you have one or two people like checking you out and cooking all the food and doing all this good stuff, it's an inconvenience to them now. Thank Dr. You. Thomas, so we kind of talked about the Fed a little bit. Um, we talked about politics very slightly, but can you kind of share the relationship between the Federal Reserve and inflation? And if we can, in your opinion, if we can expect the Federal Reserve to help to combat inflation? Absolutely. Uh, I think that it wasn't until, I think it was the 1980s when you actually saw the, the Federal Reserve take really aggressive action because inflation was much higher at that point uh, than what we're experiencing now. And that's when the Federal Reserve took on the, the notion of let's let's raise rates uh, to, uh, to kind of stymie growth in the economy, to slow things down a little bit, to bring prices down. So that's a strategy that we've employed uh, since the 80s as a way to kind of either uh, cool the economy down or to speed the economy up uh, when needed. The Federal Reserve actually recently had a private meeting uh, as it relates to how significant of a rate hike they may be making as compared to, let's say, the uh, the quarter, the 0.25% rate hike that they were talking about previously. Uh, there's actually a really cool article that came out in the Wall Street Journal as it relates to Bank of America exec, who is basically saying that, hey, we're actually expecting for pretty aggressive actions. Uh, so what's going to be interesting is that March 12th or March 13th, is when the Federal Reserve has basically said that they're going to kind of lay out uh, what the first initial rate hike is going to be and then what that's going to look like moving forward. Uh, so instead of seeing 0.25, we might see 0.50 uh, as it relates to interest and raising the interest rates. Now, why is that important? It's important because banks have to hold a certain amount of money on reserve. And then banks usually, as they navigate this process, borrow and lend money to one another. Right. So what happens is that the cost of borrowing goes up. My concern with these rate hikes, especially if they're going to be more aggressive, uh, given that we're still dealing with supply chain issues, is that not only is the, the cost already high on purchasing a used vehicle, but now potentially the interest rate that you would pay on an already expensive vehicle is going to be high as well. And then what's going to be the implication of that on somebody's discretionary income, uh, which is the money that they have left over after taxes and their basic needs are met, uh, as we move forward, or someone looking at potentially purchasing a home. So I think that moving too fast, too quickly as a response to address the, the little bit of pain that we're feeling right now, I hope that we take a more measured response uh, as a country, because what we don't want to happen is that we move too fast in terms of rate hikes, that it completely stalls things out, and then you have negative sentiment. Now we can go into a contraction period, Businesses don't want to engage in capital productions and campaigns because they're uncertain. Inflation. Right. And like all of this can happen at one time if we move too fast. I'm like, OK, let's experience a little bit of pain. It's OK. Right. Like if I'm working out, I'm going to feel a little sore, but it's a good thing. <laughs> so I feel like we have to balance this notion of that. There's we can navigate things and not have any consequences. We're going to feel a little pain. I just feel like it needs to be a measured response. Uh, because we could actually trigger uh, a recession, and that would not be good um, as it relates to what we're navigating right now with already high prices and all that jazz. Because it's a delayed effect. It's not like we raise rates, mm -hmm. and then next month, the prices just go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people think <laughs> yeah. this stuff is bad. 
And we don't have a job of laying this stuff out in a way to say that if we do this, we're probably it's probably going to be three to four months before we see. So we can so we can set proper expectations. And that's not how we communicate. And uh, so because we don't communicate that way, people have immediate expectations. We don't meet those expectations. People are more disgruntled. And then we're questioning again whether or not this strategy is working. Well, it's going to take some time for it to work. And it has historically. 30 seconds, right? Yeah. Do you see inflation as being positive or negative? Actually, I see inflation as being, it can be positive or negative within context, right? Because if we're, if we're growing too fast, then we have to kind of pull back on the economy because we're, we're, we're growing too quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you think about, and I'll, I'll stop here as it relates to this, if you go back and you explore the Great Depression, the roaring 20s, it wasn't inflation that killed the economy. It was deflation. So we can experience some deflation as we move forward because it's going to be inevitable. Inflation's a little bit higher. Eventually, I think that's going to come down and we're going to say, oh, we experienced deflation. And if there's a different political person in office, then they'll say, oh, we're going to take credit for deflation, right? But then too much deflation can actually be a negative thing on the economy. I think that as we think about inflation, we can't think about it as good or bad. We have to think about it in context of what it is telling us about the economy and what is that context and what are the origins that are driving price or lowering price. So I don't think it's it's as easy as saying it's good or bad. We just have to understand context. And right now, inflation is bad simply because we have, again, this pent up demand as you would articulate it. And then we're also thinking about the supply chain issues that we have yet to alleviate. Uh, so there are some things structurally that are off that aren't consistent with what the norm is for the US and that's what's driving it. And if that's what's driving it, that's a bad thing because we're not in that smooth running economic space just yet when everything's firing cylinders and things are moving smoothly. So I would say in this context, yes, but in other contexts, maybe not so much. Hey, well savers. Thank you for listening to part one of this two-part series with Dr. Thomas discussing inflation. This week, we covered what and where this inflation came from and the effects that the Fed may take on inflation going forward. Be ready for part two next week, where we discuss our effects, our wages, and possible actions that affect inflation with Dr. Thomas. Like what you heard? Make sure you rate us and subscribe to Taylor Well Saver Podcast. If you have podcast ideas or topics you'd like for us to cover, email us at podcast at tailoredwealthsaver.com.